In this episode of 92i Talks, Melissa Rivers and Whoopi Goldberg discuss Melissa's new book, Joan Rivers Confidential, a rare compilation of never-before-seen personal archives from the collection of her mother, the late, multi-talented, and iconic comedian Joan Rivers. The conversation was recorded on October 25th, 2017, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Hi, darling. Hi. Long time. So nice to see you. Nice to see you. So first and foremost, how you doing? Good. I'm doing. I'm okay. You know, everyone sort of expected, everyone keeps asking me, like, are you okay? And how's the process of, just because you're in the public eye doesn't make your grief any bigger or more important or more heightened than anybody else's. Right. So like anyone who's gone through losing someone, I'm at three years. Yeah. And it's in that place where it's very bittersweet. Yeah. And you still think about them every day, and you really start to find the areas that you miss them. Yeah. But we're good. I'm good, and Cooper's good, and we're doing okay. I mean, he's a teenager. Yeah. Which is less than joyous. Yeah. <laughs> As I say, apparently my mere existence is rather annoying. Yes. Yeah. And it will be until he's 21. Yeah. And my, then it will be miraculous, like, Mom, where have you been? Yeah, yeah. My, my, you know, that I dare to ask questions when he comes home is apparently quite troubling to him because he says things like, I just don't want to have to talk when I come home from school. I've been talking all day. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> you bother me, child. Go away. Yes. So let's talk about John Rivers <laughs> Confidential. When you were putting this together, what was, your, what was going through your mind? What was your, what was your big desire with putting this book together? Um, uh, first of all, I have to give credit where it's due. My friend Scott Curry, who did this with me, is the one who forced me to do it because we were going through everything at the apartment and storage, and he kept saying, there's a book here, there's a book here, there's something here, and I'm just thinking, God, there's a lot of stuff. And I said, if you can put a couple things together and prove to me yeah. and convince me that there is actually something here, fine, we'll do it, whatever. And he came back with like a little deck of it, like a little sample. All right, <laughs> and I sent it to my agent and it sold the next day. And um, apparently he was really, really right. Um, so, but the, the, the thing was we had to create a narrative. Right. There ha we, we tried a bunch of different ways to put it together. Right. And by topic or by whatever. And truly what I found out I needed to do was write her story through pictures. Yeah. And that's, I think, what we did. And what did you, did you learn anything that you hadn't known or maybe you, you sort of knew it but hadn't really realized it? Everybody keeps saying, well, what was the one item you found that you were surprised? I'm like, well, just how big our storage bills were. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> and how much shit we have. Um, the thing that struck me was when the first time I read it cover to cover mm -hmm. is it's a pop culture history. And it's a history of social, uh, it's social commentary mm -hmm. of the decades from the late 50s through 2014. Right. And my mother never thought of herself as being someone who was social commentary or shining a particular light onto, right. you're much deeper. You actually try and make points sometimes through your humor. Who, me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Compare, I mean, it's a low bar. We're saying my mom. You know what no, I mean? 
No, but your listen, your your mom was one of the first people who said to me, it doesn't matter what they think. Right. It only matters what you think. Right. And if you can't keep your head up, then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that stayed with me right. my whole career. Yeah. And so it was able, what I think what struck me was you look back and it is social commentary. Mm -hmm. And I've said this a few times, and I think you you'll, you you might find this too, is the the evolution of language. Yes. Because when my mom started and she was pregnant with me in the late 60s on the Ed Sullivan show, you couldn't say pregnant. That's right. And I have a picture of her pregnant in the book, and you had to say, I will soon be hearing the pitter-patter of little feet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know what so you just read the language, how that yeah, changes. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. now everything is... You know, snatch and tits and <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. You know, <laughs> and that's just him. And that, yeah, exactly. Um, that's just talking about him, exactly. Um, your mom mentions in the book that she mailed a picture of herself to the MGM Studios when she was <laughs> eight. Um, Apparently, frame and all, <laughs> off my grandparents' piano. What compelled her to do it? She just knew what she wanted to be, and that was a dramatic actress. Right. And boy, did that take a left. Um, but she thought, I'm gonna send this picture to MGM, and they are going, I'm going to be the next Elizabeth Taylor. And apparently she took it, frame and all, out of the living room and mailed it. And apparently my poor grandparents were like, where's that picture? <laughs> my mom's like, no clue. So she, she wanted to be a, a straight up dramatic, dramatic actress. Yes. What changed? not getting jobs, um, and become writing, mm -hmm. and always being funny. Mm -hmm. And that just, I think it was really through the writing which she started doing to be able to go out on auditions. Right, yes. And then that started the stand up, and I could do this, and I have something to say, and it was finding that voice, just trying to go through any door that opened. Right. Which was a theme through her whole life. Right. Did she have good relationships with the other comedians? Oh, yes. Or comedian. But what an amazing yeah. time. I mean, yeah, Tony Fields, Phyllis Diller. Tony and, uh, Tony and Phyllis were actually ahead of her. She's about to strike you with lightning right <laughs> sorry, now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Her age, from giving her another, like, 10, 12 years. You realize that. No, my mom was in the village with P Richard Pryor and George oh, that's Carlin. Right, that's right, that's And that right, whole group, the group right after Lenny Bruce. See, I always think of your mother as a pioneer. Because for me, I don't, re I don't remember a, f a time without her. Yeah. So when I think of funny women, right. she's the first one that comes to mind. She and moms yeah. come yes. to mind. Who was know? one of her great idols. Yeah, yeah. And she did me such a solid. Um, did she ever say what other career paths she might have taken? Uh, besides Hollywood? Oh, depending on the day. She thinks she would have been a fabulous, she had great taste, a fabulous interior decorator, as long as the clients just let her do her thing and right. not have any input. Right. <laughs> she would not have dealt well with them saying, I don't like it. Right. To which she would probably reply, well, you're wrong. <laughs> um, she studied um, anthropology in college. Really? She could have, she would have, I think she, she made herself block captain of 62nd Street when she was living there. So probably maybe politics, I don't right, know. Right, That would have been scary. Well. <laughs> By the way, the, there was no block association. Yeah. But she named herself block captain. Right. Regardless, right. that had no, no bearing on 
on anything. Was she raised by people who were, who could stand up for themselves? Well, my mother was the daughter of two immigrants. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather came from Russia with, as a total and complete peasant with no money, and they were so poor living in Russia, they had put my grandfather in an orphanage because his parents couldn't feed him. And he came over and became a doctor and went through the whole process and the whole thing. And my mother's mother, um, quite differently, came from a very wealthy aristocratic family that had to flee. So you had these two very different experiences, but um, both were determined to make a better life. And right. it was very much that same immigrant mentality work ethic. And that was you know, the, the education, education, education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they were very conservative, very much old school. And I just think about what they must have been looking at her going, first of all, actress was... Bad enough. Was bad enough, <laughs> especially because back in the old country that yeah. meant Hooker. Hooker, yeah. yeah. So when they said that their daughter wanted to become an actress, they're both just like, you know, in that beautiful house in Larchmont, New York. You know, terrified. I mean, God only knows what they must have thought from their daughter who was getting thrown out of summer camp for setting that. Well, I know she, you know this, right? My mother convinced. Okay, so they were doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as the play. You know this story. And this other girl who she says only got the part of Snow White because her parents donated a new curtain for the stage got the lead, and my mother was cast as Dopey. And Dopey had no lines, and she was not pleased with this. So she got her whole bunk to go on strike. And... They called my grandmother to come and get my mom, and they said, we're not sure if she's the next Eleanor Roosevelt or the next Hitler, but you need to come and get her. <laughs> so yeah, that personality was there from an early age. And my poor grandparents, and you just they must be like, what is this thing? What did they, did you ever get an opportunity to talk to them about this? Or no. about who she was for them as a child? No, not really. My grandfather passed away when I was a senior in high school. So a little more. My grandmother passed away when I was in third grade. Right. But her big thing was both of her parents got to see her be successful. Yes. And she was able to give back to them. She bought her mother some jewelry yeah. and she bought her father a new car. And that, that was always something she was very proud of was that she got to give back to them. Yeah. So I, I want to take a digression a bit and talk about mother and daughter relationship. Okay. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and so what was it like to be the daughter of Joan Rivers? Um, you could probably answer this for me because you have the, you've got a daughter of Whoopi Goldberg. Um, in my case, I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were very clear on that's work and this is home. Right. And to the day she died, to my friends, she was still Mrs. Rosenberg. And she was very clear on that. Some transition into calling her Joan, mm -hmm. but she was always to all my friends, Mrs. Rosenberg. Yeah. And my parents were very much, you know, separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. And I think the only place where it was blurry was we always used to refer to my mother's career as the career. Right. Because it was a, in her mind, it was a family business. Right. Everybody participated. My dad held, uh, took care of all the business. Right. 
I did whatever the hell it was I did. And my mother just had to be funny. Yeah. And right. Yeah. So it was always called the career. So it was another child in the house in a lot of ways. Right. But that's the only way that I ever felt like my mom was that different. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're like, you know, and I would say, they're like, everyone's like, was she funny at home? And I'm like, yeah, hilarious when I was getting grounded. <laughs> you know, wow, take away those car keys. That is a laugh a minute. Tell me about your dad. Oh, my poor, much maligned father. He took all the shit and all the crap and all the negativity and let my mother um, have all the glory. And he would be the bad guy. And that's what managers and agents usually do. And my father took on that role and really got smacked around by the business because of it. Mm. But he was the, she said once in an interview, he's my rock. Yeah. Because every, she would let, or he would let everything negative, every no, every demand, every whatever, be placed on him. And unfortunately, you know, at one point it ended up costing him his life. Mm -hmm. uh, which I don't think my mother ever really 100% recovered from. No. I don't, she never really forgave him. No, no. Well, that's a tough, you know, it's a tough one because those who are left behind, we have so many questions. Yes. And, and, <laughs> and it's a, the, the hardest thing about it is you can't go oops and come back. Yeah. You know, which, didn't mean it. Yeah, didn't yeah. mean it. Sorry. Yeah, um, and we worked a lot for suicide survivors. I still do a lot with suicide. I'm a big, uh, I talk a lot about teen suicide because I really feel it is an epidemic proportions. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard, and it's the kind of thing where I have made much. I made I've made much more peace with my father's suicide mm -hmm. than my mother ever did. Yeah, because she never stopped being mad at him. How could you do this? Yeah, yeah. it's it's a hard one. It's, it's a, a hard very one. hard one, and it's you know it's like I like call it like death plus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you've got the grieving plus, you get all the guilt and crazy and questions. It's, it's like you get like extra punches in your punch card. Yeah. And but she was able to make that shift in the decision that she was going to go forward. She wasn't it wasn't going to stop her, that she Correct. was going to take herself where the business, that thing that was the family take it where it needed to go. Absolutely, I mean, the strength yeah. and the fight yeah. and the never say die, it's like a Marine, yeah. you know? And she, she was gonna drag everyone with their kicking and screaming. And I'm the same way. No. Not yet, tender flower. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was that determination of this is not it. Yeah. This is not how it ends. And is that, is that a direct uh, beneficiary, uh, make you a direct beneficiary of her strength? Yes, I think so. My father, oh, oh, oh boobies. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just hit the floor, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> what, what was my mom's joke? She takes, she could use one as a stopper in the bathtub. <laughs> That's where I am now. Yeah, but it was her joke. She takes off her bra and she looks down and goes, 12 toes? Um, that was her. <laughs> that was, I could do the whole falling body routine. Um, I forgot the question. Um, being the beneficiary of strength. I think definitely my father was, well, my mother's family was German. 
I mean, my mother's family was Russian. My father's family was German. And my father was an immigrant. Mm -hmm. So I have a fabulous temper, um, being Russian and German. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> makes me really fun to argue with. Uh, yeah, it makes me, I think, the beneficiary because I've never lived in a world where everyone just didn't get up and continue. Yeah. I don't know any other way to be. My mom had this great saying was, if you're really, everyone's allowed to be sad, everyone's allowed to feel sorry for themselves, never forget you're the star of your own movie. Right. And you're allowed to have, when things are really shitty, what she would call a weekend wallow. And you could have two days to feel sorry for yourself and eat and be crabby, and then get up and go. Yeah. It's something I think people don't really do well these days, and I'm not sure if it's because... Well, I think it's the victim mentality. Well, yeah, a little bit. But I wasn't raised that you certainly did not no. come in a world where the victim no. mentality was acceptable. Well, who could afford to do no it? No one could, yeah. <laughs> you want to eat, you got to get up. Yeah, exactly. You know, yes, you're late, we see you, welcome. Um, was there anything in the book that... No, I just, you know... <laughs> Is there, is there, was there anything that you came across that you thought, I'm not, I can't put this in? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, the first half of the book, I felt very much like an archeologist. Mm -hmm. And I said to Scott, and he's the one who felt it too, he felt like we were on a dig. I'm like, yeah, like the, I can't remember the guy's name and I should, because I was a history major. The uh, English explorer that opened King Tut's tomb. Right. It was like chamber after chamber right. after chamber after chamber. and then. Yeah, and then we got to like the good stuff. Uh, I, I, uh, some of the stuff, so the first part was easy for me emotionally. The second part was where it got tricky because that was my life too. So what was it that made it tricky? Seeing the reflection of yourselves at this point of the two of you? I, no, I, it was reliving the painful times. It was reliving my father's heart attack. It was reliving the fox firing. It was reliving my father's death. It was reliving the rift that my mom and I had for about a year after, it was that that was very hard for me to put back out there right. and open back up for conversation. Were you mad at her? Oh after yeah, I was mad at everybody. Anyone who's experienced a suicide, it's like this free-floating anger. Right. And you have to get that under control. You're angry at the world. Yeah. And where you should be angry at the person that did it, and that's the person you deify. Yeah. Because you don't feel like you're allowed to be mad at them. And it took me a long time to be able to say, I love my father, I respected my father, I have no choice but to respect his decision, but what, I, what he did, I think, was a really shitty, bad decision. Yeah. But it took years to be able to say that, and that's uh, normal with suicide. Yeah. You want to blame everybody around you but the person. Yeah. So now, let's talk about your mother's collecting. Yes, thank you for using that word. Well. As a collector. <laughs> I was saying backstage, what I say is collecting is rich people hoarding. Yes. If one, or I also refer to my mother, and I think you might be this too, a maximalist. Yeah. If one is good, eight is better. Yes. Why, when you could have one pair of shoes, you could have six? Well, because you never know how you're gonna feel when you get up. And also, what if they stop making them? Well, that's the other thing. Yeah. You know. You need backups. That's the other thing. Yeah, I completely understand this. But your mom had exquisite taste. Yes. Does that, do you think, come from the longing that one has when they're approaching a place that says, 
things could get better. I should learn about all kinds of stuff just in case. I think that was a lot of it. Also, it, most of it, and this, this is something that became very clear to me in the book. Um, my mother was living out her mother's old life, her mother's old life being a rich family in Russia right. and very high and, and that, and living out that fantasy of her mother's. Right. Um, by living a very formal life, by having beautiful things, by living elegantly with place cards and finger bowls, that was very much her fantasy of where her mother came from yeah. and reliving that. And that's definitely where that came from. So the constant learning, the constant how-tos, yes. the constant feeling that she's somehow in her head raising the bar. Yes. But that definitely came from her mother and living out that fantasy. Right. Do you have that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, I do to a point. Right. But I never lived out my mother's fantasy, which I was supposed to do. And what would that have been? Um, married to a wealthy doctor or lawyer, being a lady who lunches in a big, you know, full floor in some building in Manhattan. Right. You know, and having lunch and being on boards and being on committees and being very social. And, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, <laughs> you got me. Um, but that was definitely, that, that would be, you know, everything was wonderful and she loved me. But if I had just that or had... Uh, a gay son. And Cooper is like so straight and that was very disappointing to her in a lot of ways. She always said, all I ever wanted was a gay grandson who one day when I'm old will push me out onto the balcony to sit in the sun and say, Grandma, tell me about Judy Garland. And she was very open about that. She used to say that. And that is seriously not who my child is. <laughs> she had to learn about lacrosse and cars and dirt, and, you know. What made her such a social activist? What, what was it that kept her saying, I don't care if you don't get it. I'm going to continue telling you this until you get it. You get it. Um, I can honestly say my... Mom truly never saw anything mm. other than if someone was smart and funny. Yes. And kind. And if you were smart and funny and kind, it did not matter where you came from, who you were, what you looked like, anything. And uh, that's just, you know, I, someone asked me about that today, and I said, the only things my mother could not stand were people who were uninformed and willfully ignorant mm. and, clo well, and closed-minded. Right. I mean, I grew up, as we always say, I always had a lot of uncles and not many aunts. <laughs> <laughs> and usually the aunts were with the aunts, and it was the uncles were with the uncles, and it was all very confusing, I guess, right. in a lot of ways, but not to me. Right. Um, because my parents, you know, our, we always used to joke, our household's like the UN. You know, everybody's from everywhere and everything. Well, given that environment, what do you think? <laughs> what do I think? I, well, I just, you know. I think probably, you're probably a little bit more confident in speaking your mind. And since I am speaking for someone else, mm -hmm. 
I will say, um, I'm sure like you, right now is a little bit for comedians, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Every day seems to be Christmas. There's always something to discuss. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think to have that kind of wealth of information con and, and, and comedy being thrown at you would make her happy. <laughs> from the professional point right, of view. Right, right, right. Because it's like, like I said, it's Christmas every day. It's yeah. fish in a barrel. It's yeah. like, yeah. woohoo! You know, turn on CNN, we get upset. You're like, oh, that's a good line right there. Um, and honestly, someone asked me, and I said, I think she would be pulling her extensions out one by one. <laughs> just crazed, just doing this. Or, and I can say this, and I can say this to a lot of your friends, but I can say this to you. Bless my mother's heart, she was also incredibly shallow. And I think she would be having very much an internal fight mm -hmm. over, mm -hmm. do I stand up for what I believe in or do I become an ambassador and get really good stationery that says the honorable at the top of it from the rest of my life? <laughs> she would have that thought. Well, you know. Because a good, good stationery. Is hard to find. It really is. And to have it say the honorable. Honorable. Yeah, that's, that's kind of hot for the woman <laughs> who named herself Block Captain. Yeah. So, <laughs> You know, she, I think she would be doing a little bit yeah. of this inside, but I think the, the good would win. And also, you know, she was an, uh, she did like the National Enquirer. And there is Who a, doesn't? <laughs> well, I miss, I miss, I miss it as it was. Right, in the paper. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I can't I read it online. online. I don't get it. It's like I need to stand in the supermarket and actually feel it, you know. And you know how you used to be able to pick it up and look at it and then you'd leave fingerprints on yes, it, yes. and then put it back. That's what I miss. Yes, that you was know. her too. She also loved their crossword puzzles. Yes. And yes, she used yes, to yes. do the National Enquirer crossword puzzles. And that was a joke, because she would do the National Enquirer or the Star and the New York Times. Right. Yeah. Now, so I saw one of the uh, pages said, Donald Trump is in love <laughs> with Joan Rivers. I think that's brilliant. That would have been helpful. Yeah, you think? You know? I yeah. mean, if he had left the models alone and got somebody funny, my God, what kind of guy would he be today? I'm not sure it could be any more amusing. Uh, <laughs> it is. You mean, at one point, you just have to step back and go, What the fuck? Are you shitting me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this yeah. a giant... I'm waiting for someone to pop out and go, punked, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying, it's like, it's a comedian's dream. Yeah. If it wasn't so awful, everybody would be like, oh my God, this is the best set, you know? Yeah. Look at what it's done for SNL. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's freaky. It is. It's freaky. But sometimes you just gotta get that perspective and going, thank you for giving me 10 new minutes every day. Or, how long is this shit gonna last? Yeah. You know? It's like... But you do, enough, you do enough comedy that you're like, you know when a dry spell is going on, when well, everyone's being super PC and happy, you're like... You know. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I, I also want to talk about, because your mom, uh, really everybody got it. She, mm -hmm. she was an equal opportunity. She hit everybody. Mm -hmm. And I've seen several letters that she's written Various people saying, listen. Lighten up. Lighten up. This is, your, this is part of your life. Be glad somebody's talking about you. And I think that people don't realize that there was never anything malicious. Nothing. And that's why Elizabeth Taylor was like, okay, what, what now? Yeah. What did you say? Yeah. 
and she got the humor. Do you think people have a sense of humor? Anymore? Anymore. Some do. Some do. A lot don't. Mm. You know, it seems very like the in thing is to take yourself very, very seriously. And um, <laughs> God help us all because it just, I can't take myself that seriously. Yeah, I look in the mirror and I think, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I look at my life and I go, <laughs> I look at my life and go, I should be highly medicated and sitting in a corner finger painting and rocking. So, you know, I really am like, whoa, let's not take this so, so seriously. Um, some people get it, some people don't. A lot of people un have to understand, and generally it's sort of a, more of an industry thing, to be able to make a joke about someone. You have to be so popular and so well-known and so part of the pop culture zygast yeah. that people get the joke. Yes, yes. And a lot, the people who usually get offended are the ones that don't get that. It's like Sofia Coppola once said to me, at a party, she goes, you know, when I was interviewed by your mom on the red carpet, it was a seminal moment. I'm like, why? She goes, because that meant I arrived. Yes, that is true. Yeah. That is true. And people have to, like, to be able to joke about someone, you're huge. You're, you are beyond A-list. And now, a lot of people don't get that. No, and she wrote prolifically. I mean, we, the, the uh, documentary mm -hmm. talks about all the drawers. And mm -hmm. so now... When you look through the book and you think about her humor, could you be as funny as Joan was for as long today? I don't know if anyone could. I think a lot of the young comics are brilliant. Mm -hmm. But I think stylistically, mm -hmm. with that sort of machine gun, one funny after another, and when she would perform for 70 minutes or whatever it was, no one else is going to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, could she sustain it? She performed the night before she died. You know? She's, she, she would work. Her, her greatest happiness was on stage. Yeah. She still loved stand-up and was constantly working and writing new material to the night before she died. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about her career. Because okay. it was kind of a, a marvelous thing to watch. And she was... She didn't look like anybody else. Nope. She didn't sound like anybody else. Oh, definitely not. And she wasn't like anybody else. How did it work? I don't know. I mean, you couldn't really break it down mm -hmm. because it was so unique, and especially at the time she broke through, mm -hmm. it was considered wild and crazy. Right. And off the charts and cutting edge. Um, I think what it boiled down to was, again, there was such a warmth that even in the most cutting of jokes, she was always the butt of it. Mm. It always came from a warm place. And I think, especially with the celebrity commentary, right. she never stopped being a fan. It always came from a place of, I can't believe I'm standing here. I can't believe I've met these people. She was still that little girl who took the picture off, right. off the piano. Right. And that's where, that was sort of the, the heart of all of it is, how lucky am I? And I think, that was, I think that was really what sustained it. She never stopped being a fan, ever. You think you need to have that in order to, to do really good work for, uh, if you're talking, whether it's clothes or whether it's uh, celebrities or... I think you have to love what you do. Yeah. When you stop having fun, 
the audience or the viewer or whomever it is stops having fun. Right. I'm a firm believer that, especially with TV and like what you do, you are, you are the voice for a large group of people. And like for us on the red carpet, we were supposed to be you mm -hmm. standing there. Mm -hmm. So I would let myself get as excited because my viewer is just as excited to see right. what they're wearing. Right. And that directly came from my mom. And you know, she's always said, I want to die on stage. And she keeps thinking, like, God, those people would be so lucky. They could say for the rest of their lives, I was there the night when. She's like, people get to dine out on that for years. I was there the night she fell off the stool, and that was it. <laughs> she pulled a dick, Sean. Yeah, just poof. So talk about the Carson time, the, the television, her television work. Because I know that that was very... That point was a really like high point yeah, at the time. The hosting the Carson mm -hmm, show and mm -hmm. getting, which nobody ever wanted to admit, better numbers than Carson. And then you know it was it was, you know. You think that was because she was a woman? Oh. I'll take that. Um, okay, y'all. Yeah. All right, Ninety Second Street. Why I know where we are. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was because she was a woman. I like to think that she was the first woman to go out there and engage the women mm -hmm. in who are watching the show. Mm -hmm. Who are watching mm -hmm. the show? She also, it was the height of. She was so funny. Yeah. And you know, at that point, the show, his show, was still good and funny. Right. But it had become comfortable. Yes. And she was like a shot of adrenaline every few weeks coming through. And uh, it was a really incredible time for her. And she hosted the Emmys. Mm -hmm with Eddie Murphy, who was, I think, all of 20 yeah. at that time, and she got in a ton of trouble <laughs> because she made a joke, I think, about James Watt. Yes. Who was the Secretary <laughs> of the Interior at that time and wanted to, like, get rid of trees. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, and the switchboard apparently lit yeah. up. And she took a lot of shit for that, but she didn't care. And it was just a very happy, exciting time. And, uh... You know, she played Carnegie Hall. Right. They had a big party for her at Studio 54. She started living out the fantasy right. of being a huge star, filling, you know, what was then considered stadiums. Right. You know, it was rock star time. And then? Yeah, then it, it, well, the reason, and again, this is something that people refuse to admit. Uh, my mother and father were more than happy to stay at The Tonight Show. And they had a very good friend who was one of the executive vice presidents over there, very high up. And it was one of those moments where they thought Johnny was going to retire mm -hmm. for the 175th time until he actually did. Right. And they circulated a list of legitimate possible full-time replacements. And my mother's name was not on the list. And that memo was slipped to my parents back in the day when things were in paper. <laughs> um, and that devastated her. And her contract came up. And they didn't even receive a call from Business Affairs. Mm -hmm. And my parents were calling saying, hi, our contract's up, the deal's up, the deal's up. And then they received some sort of a cursory call or phone right. letter saying, oh yeah, we'll be renewing you, blah, blah, blah. And my parents were like, no. And at that point, CBS was courting her, ABC was courting her, and this fledgling network called Fox with Barry Diller at the helm, right. who was like him or hate him, he is a broadcasting genius. Yes, he is. You cannot, and all these men that are still very powerful, they 
were supposed to be the hot young Turks, and they said, you can come and do whatever you want. And we're gonna give you a whole lot of money for doing it. And my parents said, okay. But it was not like they did not give NBC at that time, or whatever company was doing it at that time, um, plenty of time and questions and warning, and they weren't treated, well, they were treated quite badly at yeah. the end. And my mom did try and reach out to Johnny before. Right. And as the story goes, he finally picked up the phone as the announcement came out, and she said, Johnny? And he said, yes, she said, she said, it's Joan, and he hung up. And that was the last time they ever spoke. And that devastated her. Your mother kept everything. So she had all the letters, she has all the stuff. I mean, was it fear? You will never know, but just out of curiosity, do you think it was fear on Johnny's part, anger on Johnny's part? I think it was anger, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure he ever got the true story mm -hmm. of that it was just poor, shitty business by business affairs at the time, right. and feeling very smug that she wasn't gonna go anywhere, and having no idea that she knew there was no future home. What are you gonna do? I mean, you're finding out, yeah, I got, I've got no home in the long run, Yeah. and here's someone offering to take me in, I'm gonna go. And so she goes, and what happens? She goes, and the sad thing is the show was actually a tremendous success. Um, it got the highest numbers in late night, I think, until the second or third year of Arsenio. Mm -hmm. um, so, and they tried to paint it as a failure, and it was, you know, again, people, they, they had unrealistic expectations. Yeah. At the network, how unusual. <laughs> we want you to have, 200 bazillion viewers, but we're only in 6% of the country. Yes, yes. You know, it was like that yes. kind of a thing where it's like, we expect that every single person who has a TV in the 12% where we actually broadcast has to have it on. You know, it's just unrealistic yeah, yeah. expectations and it just sort of unraveled. What made her decide, I'm not fooling with you people anymore. I need to figure out what direction I, I want to go in. What made her decide to head towards the jewelry? Um, well, at that point, she had already, you know, my father had killed himself. She was, felt unemployable because nobody wanted to see her be funny. Um, she just sort of clawed her way back through Hollywood Squares. Great show. Been very good to all of us. Um, Hollywood Squares and going back to and going, getting the job on Broadway mm -hmm. and getting her own daytime talk mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. And my mother always loved jewelry. Yes. And a little, this guy came to her and said, I work for this fledgling network called QVC and we're gonna try and sell stuff over TV and will you do a line? And she's like, okay. And her stylist for the talk show right. was a man named David Dangle or is a man named David Dangle who would was a big Emmy-winning costume designer right. and stylist. And she's like, oh, let's try this. And that was the beginning of that. And David is now the CEO of the company and still very much a part of my family. Right. And they, out of working out of her dressing room, over at CBS over here for her Tribune show, right. uh, created this company. And it just grew and grew and grew with QVC. Oh. oh, finally. Yes. Come on, darling. Our woman in turquoise. Yes. Did you wave turquoise woman? 
Sue is a very old friend of both of ours. Yes. Yes. So. She's a very young woman, but an old friend. Right. Yes. <laughs> old as in wise. So this is from <laughs> Holly Martin. Holly, God damn, this is a long question. Um, <laughs> from Holly Martin, would it kill you to put on some lipstick? <laughs> I know what that, that, my mother always, that used to be her thing about when people were, that was one thing with me was she was like, could you get your bangs out of your eyes? <laughs> and I'd be going out of the house like a, a civilian, yes. not to work. Yes. She'd be like, would it kill you to put on some lipstick? That was always her thing. My mother always believed you should go out completely dressed, completely yes. ready, because she was always a fan, yes. and her thought was most people, barring LA and New York, only get to see a star once in their life, right. and you should not disappoint them. Yes. But Holly, I have on lipstick, so. Hey, mm. So these are, I guess you could tell, these are from y'all. Yeah. So your mom loved the royal family. Yes. Didn't they love her, too? Very much. Tell us about that. Uh, people don't... Humor is the great leveler. Yes. And my mother said, we could solve peace in the Middle East if we just found some people who were funny yeah. and put them in a room and everyone could just, like, have a laugh, have a joke, let's figure this out. Right. Um, she was like, I'll sell, you ha I'll sell you ham at half price, you know, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... The royal family. <laughs> I wish I could remember her joke about that. I can't. I just remember it had to do with something about ham and half price. Yeah. Um, but the royal family actually are very funny. They have a great sense of humor. And the queen actually is known as an amazing mimic. Yes. And can mimic all these world leaders all the way back to like Churchill. And uh, Prince Charles is a big fan of comedy. Huge Monty Python mm -hmm. fan. Huge loved very sort of British intelligent humor, was a fan of my mom, met once when my mom performed at like a royal variety show, right. uh, and then met personally through a mutual friend and connected through humor and painting. My mom loved to watercolor and loved to paint. Right. And she had a little easel in her bathroom and would just paint to relax. And they genuinely became friends and she genuinely became friends with Camilla and again through humor. Yeah. And so they would send out different kinds of Christmas gifts each year. Right. And uh, one year they sent these like special teacups. <laughs> uh, I think my mom told you this. Yes. Uh, but they would only send one because it was part of a set. Yeah. <laughs> and so my mother got it. And she's like, there's one fucking cup. <laughs> so she sat down in front of our Christmas tree and menorah, the whole shebang in her bathrobe holding her one cup and took a picture. And she wrote a note and sent the picture saying, you know, dear your royal highnesses, thank you so much for your lovely Christmas gift, but I'm very hurt that you really, that, I, that you think I'm so alone. <laughs> and that I'll never have anyone else in my life again. You sent me only one cup. <laughs> and that was her relationship with him. And of course, they pick up the phone and are howling with laughter. Picture of her by yourself with her one cup. I'm like, I'm kind of hurt. <laughs> what is your most, what are, wait a minute. I assume that you mean, what was your most embarrassing moment with your mom? Oh. Is that what you meant? 
that's my next book. <laughs> you know, any teenager is always embarrassed by their mom and their dad, but the quickest one to tell is, my parents just love to embarrass me, um, which is again why I go to therapy. And that's why I do it to my son, because I feel it's like my God-given right, because yes. it was done to me. Um, and my mom used to play Atlantic City, and we'd be out on the boardwalk walking or whatever, and my parents would walk behind me and sing on the boardwalk in Atlantic City at the top of their lungs. <laughs> and you, know, you watch your 12-year-old just go, oh, dear God, you know, and neither one could sing yeah. a lick. So, yes, all the time. Um, long list. Long list. Long list. Um, how'd you feel about all that plastic surgery? How'd I feel about all that plastic surgery? With That's her? what they wrote. Yeah. It's a legit How'd question. How'd you feel about it? Yeah. It's a legit question. Well, you know, yeah. I thought perhaps she right. got a little over the top with it. A, a wee, a soup song. But honestly, you know, she would say life is hard enough. If you, you need to like if, what you see in the mirror. Yeah. And her other thing was always, you would rather have an, an you don't, wait. She so said, never forget to take care of how you look because, and spend money on that because it's better to have a new you coming out of an old car than an old you coming out of a new car. <laughs> <laughs> and there is some twisted logic and, yeah. and, and true, true, like, good advice in there yes. somewhere. Yes, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Do you think your mom was a feminist? Yes, but she hated being called it. Yes. She hated being called it because she believed in family and this, and she wanted to be equal pay and do everything as good and as well and as equal as the boys, but she still wanted the car door open for her. I feel the same way, yeah. I have to tell you. Yeah. It's true. She's like, I still want yeah. to be treated like a lady. Yeah, but it's so odd. You're sitting there, you know, you, he gets out of the car and you're sitting there just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> and then you see that he, you like, they're on their, yeah. Are you gonna get the door? Yeah. And I, oh, oh. Say, who raised you? Yeah. But see, that's when you run in with the younger ones. Yeah. Well, the older I, ones know what to do. Well, it's that middle group. I make sure my son opens doors yes. and does all that. And if he is just walking ahead of me, I'll be like, hello, hello, you know. Is but it, is but it, that's it? hard because feminists, when my mother was, when technically like 70s and 80s, like what do you guys, and you're supposed to not wear a bra. She's like, I have to wear a bra because it's just not attractive. Um, but she's like, I still want to be treated with respect and properly, yeah, yeah. but I also want equal pay. They should yeah. not, you should be able to be a feminist and still yeah. want those things. Yeah, you know, burn my bra, not pay me my money. Yeah. What's your favorite joke of your mom? Oh my God. Or do you have one? There's so many. Um, okay, there's one. See, okay, there's one because now it's so politically incorrect, and I know we're streaming this, and I feel like Are I'm we? getting in trouble. All right, well, don't do, don't, don't do it because you know, sometimes it's better just to avoid the hassle because people don't want to hear what you actually did. So yeah. let's just, let's okay, just. Okay, but I'll tell it because it's really funny. Okay. <laughs> and this was told to me as the favorite joke by an A-list actress who it was said about. Uh-oh, I know this. <laughs> it was, that dress is so ugly, it looks like it would be good at math. 
on. You, you can't make a tell a joke and then groan. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not that my mother thought only ugly things were good at math. It's just such a funny, just yes. you would never put those things no, together. No. And it was said about a major A-list actress who I was in at an event with, and she came up to me and said, that is my favorite joke yeah. that your mother has told across the board. Yes. And it was about her. She actually said she was on the toilet and had the TV on and fell off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And even knew that's what she was being, you know, they're saying. But it's a great joke because it's just so yeah. silly. Well, you're, my favorite of your mom's, and I don't know what she was doing. I think it just sort of Flew out happened. of her mouth. But nothing just flew out. But yeah. she, I, she had a little tiny dog. Yeah. And she picked the dog up and said, what? And I looked up and she said, Madonna. It's <laughs> 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 so random. Just, you know, it, what, can, what are you going to do? Well, also, on The View, right, with Letter, when she decided that Letterman and Barbara were secret See? fuck buddies. Oh, my God. And she said that and on the air. Just like that? That. Because they're fuck bunnies. Because just they were retiring. They were retiring the same time. At the same time. And she's like, this is very suspicious. Yes. <laughs> and the the couch. <laughs> See, they always thought I was gonna be the one yeah. that was gonna drop a fuck bomb. Yeah. It wasn't me. No. Joan did it. But and not only did she do it, but she did it about Barbara. And Barbara was there. <laughs> and Barbara was sitting there. <laughs> It was the greatest. And oh. I remember we were sitting, and I, we were on the couch, and I was there too. And I looked at you, and you were done <laughs> for the show. You were done for the segment. You just went head down. Yes. And that was that. Because just the visual. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the dress. It's like the dress. I mean, It's you know. just the visual of the whole thing. And I'm supposed to remind y'all that one of the great things about what's happening here is if I don't get to things, you can get the book. And there's jokes in the book. There's jokes in the book. There's so much material in the book where it takes your breath away. And, you know, I was thinking about your mom the other day because I was thinking, what made, and I understood what made her write it, but I thought, what made you write Rabbit Test? Because it's one of my favorite films. It's hilarious. And I think to myself, you knew they weren't going to know what this was. But, I, you know, now you see it and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, tell me about that when they decided to, to make it a film. Um, I think my mom and her co-writer, Jay Reddick, who was one of the producers of Hollywood Scores, one of the funniest Yes. But there was a man who was one of the EPs, on, executive producers on, on Hollywood Squares. But he, when he started, wrote for Paul Lind. Oh. And every major funny line that yeah. came out of Paul Lind's mouth was Jay Reddit. Right. So that's the humor. And they wrote Rabbit Test. And I think they just thought it was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Because it was, it was too early. Yeah. Airplane came out the next year. Right. And became this huge cult, this huge right, hit. Right. It was very in the vein of airplane. Yes. And it's hilarious. I so clearly remember a scene with the great Imogene Coca. Yes. And they had an amazing cast. Yes. And they're having dinner, and it's this sort of gypsy 
family fortune tellers, who knows what they are. And she picks up the platter and puts it in and goes, tonight, hamster. And she picks up a <laughs> can of Lysol and sprays the whole thing. She goes, mmm, and the whole thing was like, ooh, and they all start eating. It's just so hilarious. And then you go back and you think about my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. And the whole thing with Windex. Windex. And you just go, hmm, how did she even think of that then? Yes. I mean, that, that I don't know why that scene as a child, probably because I was on set for that, you know, stuck well, with me. And all mm, hamster, sure. just that phrase. Yeah. You know, then not a lot of people can get away with saying that. No. And mm. also with the fortune teller, and the guy is dressed in a full sailor suit, and she's telling his wife, you're going to die at sea. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear the voice of the guy going, what? I want my money back. <laughs> it was such a silly it's, movie. It's, it's wonderful, and there should be a retrospective at some point, because she wrote wonderful thing. She but just... Well, and she wrote the voiceover, the original baby's uh, Bruce yes. Willis script for uh, Look Who's Talking. Look Who's Talking. But and yet the Academy wouldn't acknowledge her in the in memoriam when she died. Hmm. I'm a little angry about that one. I would be too, I think. Yeah. I would be too, but I think it goes to not knowing. Sometimes, you know, people, you think people would have the information because it's information that we have and we're up on stuff because we love movies, we love television, and, and you think, well, you know what she did. You know, of course it's going to be there. Well, you would think the Academy at least would have acknowledged the fact that she created a whole extra two hours of programming for their show. You would think. Yeah, I mean, you kind of noticed her standing out there. Well, yeah, but you know. Yeah, maybe. It's like that sometimes. Yes. But we she was small. The, well, she was teeny tiny. Yeah, so maybe they just looked right over her. That's right. That must have been. They it. said, "Oh, hair." Yeah. But you know, I think that that a great thing that we should be doing. There should be, to me a prize awarded to great funny people. I agree. And I think it should be the Joan Rivers Prize. Well, thank you. You know, I, I really do. I, 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 think, I think they do that a little bit with the Mark Twain. Yeah. Something else she didn't get. Yeah. Never got a Kennedy Center. No. 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 Mm-mm. No. Mm-hmm. She got a Grammy posthumously. Yeah, well, you know, posthumous is nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. But my mom always said, you know, never expect praise without envy until you're dead. Mm. And unfortunately, it's true. I hear you, Sue. Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah, she's about to be inducted into the Television Academy Hall of Fame. Finally. Yeah. But thank you for reminding me. I, see, I don't even have that on my radar right now because I've not been told what I'm wearing. Ah, Once it's you, hanging in my closet with a tag with, from my stylist saying, this is for this date, this night, and here's the shoes, then I know it's actually happening. Well, but also, you're in the middle of this marvelous book. Yes. And telling people about the book. I'm very single-focused. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Because, you know, if you think about too much shit at one time, your head explodes. It does. <laughs> By the way, and that explains a lot, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, I want to ask you two more things. Okay. 
Was, was your mom always uh, into fashion? Was that always. something she always loved? Always, and you see that in the book. Mm -hmm. It's a great romp through fashion, too, because she was always a fashion girl. The hair in the 60s and 70s and 80s and the, you know, looking at all that. Like, there's a picture of my parents on the beach in Jamaica on their honeymoon, and they are the least beachy people, like the <laughs> least hip, the least cool. My dad's in loafers, slacks, a belt, and a button, short sleeve button down shirt tucked in. And my mother is like with the 60s hairpiece, right. um, a shift dress, white tights, <laughs> and low heels on the beach in Jamaica. That's my favorite photo, because that tells you everything about them all at once. There was no like swinging 60s or Hollywood yeah. 70s or yeah. 80s or 90s. There was none of that cool factor at all. But deep love. But deep love. Abiding love. How'd they meet? Um, my dad hired her. You gotta be careful saying this shit nowadays. Um, someone, he was, he was producing a movie and he needed a script punch up. Right. And a friend of his said, I just saw this very funny girl on The Tonight Show, and she was not brought on as a comic, she was brought on as a writer. And she was performing down in the village, and they went and saw, and he thought she was funny. Obviously, probably thought she was kinda cute. And he called, and they had a meeting, and five days later, they got married. <laughs> Imagine if I had tried to do that. She would've she, oh, she please, killed child. me. She would've snatched you balls. Yeah, she would've, that weave would be gone. Yes. Um, but I th she says it was they both, she'd already had her first marriage. Mm -hmm. They were both a little bit older. Yeah. And then she said they both clearly knew what they were looking for. Yeah. And they knew it when they, they knew found it. it. That's marvelous. And lastly for me, because I've been ignoring the time. I'm terribly sorry about that. Um, where did Can We Talk come from? I think it's a little bit like, who are you wearing? I just flew out one night. Right. Just saying, okay, stop, can we talk? And that's sort of the moment I think that everything went click. Right. That's who I am. I'm the friend who you're, who's telling you how it is. And that's really what her humor was. She was your crazy, ballsy friend that you loved to hang out with. Yeah. Who would say what you were thinking. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, hold on. Yeah, I did that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I did that one too. Uh, when you think about the pizza around, okay. What was the pizza around? Oh, all right. Okay, I'm ready. I feel like this is the SAT. Yeah. Okay. When you look back at pictures, okay, and the writings of your mother earlier in her career, what was the one piece of content? if you had to choose only one thing. Okay. That shouted out, icon in the making. Um, that's a very deep question. That's a Howard Bragman that's question. That's a Howard Bragman question. That's a question. Howard Bragman question. Yes. A friend of ours who's my publicist, she wanted to make sure certain things got said. Um, I feel like, is this on the final? Am I responsible <laughs> for this material? Um, oh, is there one thing? Uh -oh. Was there one thing? Um, oh God, I'm thinking really fast and hard. Um, um, okay, her report cards. Because the, you see the comments from the teachers from like kindergarten and first grade, and I had those in my book too, and the personality is there. 
It says things like, Joan has to learn to take her turn. <laughs> her constant talking is much better this semester. You know, if she was a better sharer, <laughs> it helps the other children like her more. Um, but it, they're hilarious because that, that it was all there yeah. from the beginning. That personality. Good Lord. I feel you lurking. Are you signaling me? Oh, good. I, oh, good. I, I can ask you another question. Okay. Um, you think she would have supported Donald? <laughs> or Hillary? Because oh, she knew them both. Yes, yeah. she knew them both. Um, Is that I an think... unfair question? No, it's okay. not an unfair question because our families had a very long outside of the spotlight relationship with the whole Trump family. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the beginning she would have been like, yeah, it's great, 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 super. Um, and then she would have been like, oh shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I also think she truly in her heart believed, well, I know this, I don't have to guess, women are smarter yeah. and better and not so busy comparing how big it is with each yeah. other and just yeah. get shit done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I, I truly believe she, she felt for a long time it was time for a woman president. She's yeah. like, oh, enough of you boys and yeah. pounding your chests. And it's just, it's so boring. Yeah. Let's just get some, let's get a woman in there and get shit organized and done. That's what we do. Yeah. So I think in the end run, she would have, in the end, end of it all, she would right. have definitely been a Hillary supporter. Okay. Um, where are the where are the files? All over. Um, I feel like I need to go like get one of those old missile silos yeah. and like put <laughs> it all in there. Um, some here, some in Los Angeles. My storage bills, I think I got down by like twenty bucks after vamping through all this. Right. And the actual card catalog is still uh, in her office right. at Joan Rivers Worldwide in New York. Which has sort of become like our storage facility. Do you think there'll be a, a John Rivers Museum? Well, the Liberace Museum did last a long time and was a lovely cash flow. So, you know. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Maybe I could just do a museum of, I don't know, all the great women? A funny. A, a funny. A funny. There are, there are people who are trying to do museums of comedy, but there's not really a great one yet. Well, I just think, you know, one of the things that I believe that you have that sensibility. So, and you're really organized, which I like. <laughs> so I, I just feel like I would like people to <clears throat> go and be able to see her in clips, or maybe it's something that the Museum of Television Museum of Television can has to, but I, I do think it is time for either the arts or a bunch of people, maybe spirited mm -hmm. by you or with me, to get together. There needs to be a true museum of the history of comedy. Yes. Because it goes all the way back. And, you know, well, you know, it goes back to Shakespeare. Shakespeare. And that comedy has been such a relevant part of the human experience. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's been honored enough. No. Well, we just got a museum in Washington for the black folks. Baby steps. So it might take baby steps. Baby steps. You know. Yeah. But, but perhaps. Well, we, we can attach that to the National uh, well, African American Museum because 
comedians. You can say black. What? I can say black? Can say, yeah, yeah. Which the National Black Museum. Yeah. Because, you know, the comedians are still... Yes. There's yes, a lot of are. not accepted. Yes. But we can also <laughs> attach it to the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian has, as well as the Library of Congress, mm -hmm. has asked for the joke files. But here's my problem. Do you remember the last scene of the original Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yes. And the Ark goes into the thing, yeah. into the box, and it's that huge yeah. pullback crane shot. Yeah. And it goes and it's just in a sea of boxes. Right. I am so terrified. Like I have these nightmares that that's where it will be because the joke file is such to me still a living, a living thing. Yes. And I think my mother would be pissed because she doesn't like dark. It's cold in there. No one's gonna put a blanket around it. Well, but so maybe, I, I feel like I literally cannot do that. Maybe we could talk them. Notice how I put myself in there? I would let, by the way, <laughs> I would let you spearhead this. Maybe we could talk them into making it a living, breathing museum of comedy because I feel like if you could walk into the museum and hit 1967, and up comes and up comes Jones, right? Or Lenny Bruce, or Lenny Bruce, or, or something. And then you could go over to their digital file, uh -huh. where you could hit. You learn to read comedy. You learn to maybe structure it, and it allows it allows the files to teach other people how to do the other, this thing. You know who else had a meticulous archive? George Carlin. Yes. I'm a, but a lot, I'm sure you have a meticulous archive. You know what, it's, I don't, because my, a lot of what I did comes from memory, because being dyslexic, trying to write it down was really hard. But there's, but you have the benefit of everything tape. being taped. Yes. Including your Broadway everything. shows. Yes. And so you have all of that, to work as an archive. Yeah. Okay. I got you a do. little archive. Yeah. No, you do. I got a little How many hundreds of thousands of hours of tape is there on you? Probably. The, oh. Just well, from. You mean the front? The, you mean the tape that everybody wants to see? Not, yes. Not the private. Not the tapes, other tapes. Not the okay. other tapes. Um, just from Comic Relief alone. Oh yeah, yeah. And those <laughs> and those moments. I mean, the thing is, people don't realize. Once someone hits a certain age, the body of work. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at it with artists and actors yeah. and all that, and yeah. they do these AFI right. nights. No one's doing that for the comics. There isn't that for no. comics. And yet you look at these bodies of work and you go, holy shit. Hey, y'all. You want to help us spearhead? So, and it should be in New York. It should be in New it York. It should be here in and New York. And it should be in the village. It should well, it could be, with, well, talk to the shop. Look. Right to folks, y'all are powerful. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, de Blasio's the mayor, but we can still do stuff. <laughs> oh, you felt the same way about him that my mother did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, it was crazy. Again, this book. You'll enjoy, it's a romp. It, it is a romp. It's, it's as close to Joan as you're gonna be able to get. I was lucky. She, she was a great woman. She was a great woman. So, 
tell us something that we should know about your mom that we don't. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with something personal. Okay. <laughs> she loved tag sales. <laughs> and she had her house in Connecticut. I see her best friend, Margie, who was one of these other culprits in a lot of this with her. And my mother would see a tag sale and pull the car over. And she couldn't pass up like an extra set of china. So she literally could set the table with like a different set of china every day. So it was insane. So she passes and I am going through the, the, the basement of her New York apartment. Yeah. And I'm like, there's shit I've never seen. I'm like, she literally couldn't go to a tag sale and not buy something. So I had boxes and boxes of just stuff that still had the tags on it. And it was all like, $2, you know what I mean? <laughs> or, be, look, I got another set of, of cocktail napkins. If I get rid of these two, they're not stained. You know, that she was literally a complete and total sucker for a tag sale. What? Yes, thank you, a collector. Yes, that's, that's right. And that's a very personal thing. People do not know. I mean, I was giving away sets of dishes to people, and they would just be in tears, like I was, how could, oh, you gave me your mother's dishes. And I'm thinking, I hope we remember to turn them all over and take the little, the little, the little, you know, one dollar for each one yes, off the yeah, bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of people have some sentimental dishes. Well, they meant something to her at the moment. Yeah. When but she bought them. She, yeah, because God knows if she could, she loved making a deal. She loved, and then her other thing was, she was a big over-tipper. A big over-tipper. And she would go out to dinner with friends, <clears throat> and she had a few friends that she didn't feel were under-tippers, but not generous enough. Right. So she would take money and fold it up and put it under her plate <laughs> so that after they had all left, the server would find the extra money. What do you think that came from? Not being tipped when she was a waitress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's exactly where that came from. But, you know. Are you a good tipper? I'm a really good tipper. Good. But she was crazy. Like, in her own apartment building, every time the doorman opened the door, mm -hmm. she would give him something. I'm like, Mom, you go out like 20 times a day. She's like, oh, but they're so nice. So, that's a, that's a personal yeah. insider kind of thing that's sort of in her character. That, and she was also a complete and total hotel kleptomaniac. Now, when you say she was a hotel kleptomaniac, was she stealing hotels themselves? <laughs> or just the things... That like... she fancied? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mom used to say, an unattended housekeeping cart is... <laughs> <laughs> was, a, was a message from God. Uh, and growing up, I honestly, and I'm feeling I'm joking, I never took a shower until I went to college with a full-size bar of soap, full-size shampoo, or full-size conditioner. And we had these big baskets in our, like, supply closet upstairs filled with minis of 
everything in our supply closet. Um, literally, I never had a full-size bar of soap until I left for college and had to buy one. Because I wasn't going to take, and then, this is the worst, then we'll stop. But, um, so I'm leaving for college, and my, okay, in my mom's contract at the hotels, they had to refresh the, the bar in the dressing room every night. Mm -hmm. And we had this old station wagon. I'll get to this. And so every night, my parents would, or like every other night, and they didn't drink, mm -hmm. would empty out the bar <laughs> and start filling suitcases. And then one of the assistants would drive every week the station wagon up from LA, and they would put all the liquor in the station wagon and have it driven home. Well, in our contract, it said you get the full bar replaced every time it's empty. Right. And then my job at Christmas was to pick off the labels that said, like, Caesars, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> and that's what, like, all the mailmen and the UPS guy would get these beautiful bottles of liquor from the Rosenbergs. <laughs> all the assistants and all the agents' office. Like, my parents, everyone loved them. They were so generous. But then when I was leaving for college, they replaced the towels every day in a hotel. So my parents, <laughs> she was playing Caesar's Palace and they had really nice towels in the suites and they had bath sheets as well as regular sized towels. So they would take a set every day and put it in a suitcase. <laughs> and again, the station wagon would come up and it would get loaded into the back of our station, our blue station wagon that had the license plate, Starlet. Um, <laughs> Which my mother just thought was the funniest thing ever. And so when I left for college, I went with all Caesar's Palace towels. <laughs> because they just figured, like, they're really nice. They're nicer than when we're going to buy at, like, Target or whatever. So I went to college with bath sheets and full sets of towels from Caesar's Palace. And it said Caesar's Palace. Yeah. So no one was going to steal them. No. No. So, yeah. Do you think people thought that was, I don't know. Odd. Odd. Perhaps. Yes, I think all, I think... Also, the fact that my week, the week that I moved into college, my mom was working at like Caesars Atlantic City, and we drove up, and we didn't even think about it. And this huge, white, hideous stretch pulls up with all of my luggage and the like, the little mini refrigerator and my Caesars Palace towels, and the guy still dressed in like the Bellman outfit who had driven <laughs> us from Atlantic City. So yeah, pretty much that was pretty horrifying. I guess that answers the question also of what was one of your most embarrassing moments. Voila. Voila. But yeah, she was a hotel kleptomaniac. Well, I, I guess I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And all the notepads. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But by the way, she still, to her dying day, cleaned out a hotel bathroom of all the minis. I do too. I think it's important. I do too, but if she, but it's so ingrained in me. But she would literally, if she saw an, an unattended housekeeping cart. We have, I have a year's supply at least of like the worst scratchy tissue. <laughs> See, I would, I could never steal toilet paper. Oh, she did. I couldn't do that. No, cause the toilet paper, see, I need a caress. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that hotel toilet paper is meant to keep you out of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's those tissues, those yes. long tissue boxes. Yes. Yeah. And I have, I still, I cannot leave a hotel without, I'm so trained. Yes. It's like, yes. I've been trained since I was a child to steal, to clean out the bar, take the towels that's and right. all the minis. Well, that's why they give it to you. Yeah. They want you to and use it. And if you it. take them away and hide them every night, they do replace them. Yes. 
They know what they're doing. Absolutely. This has been a, an honor and a pleasure. And all I can say before we end is two things. One, my mother was a fan of yours, and you knew that. And adored you, and loved you, and thought you were a genius. And then, on a personal note, um, my mom had her accident, <clears throat> and they had given us a conference room, basically, to live in, in the hospital, with two recliners. And flowers showed up the second day with a note from you, and a little bear was in the flowers, and it said, okay, Joan, this isn't funny. Time to get up. And I still have the bear and the note, and I keep that with where I keep her ashes. So the book. She'll be signing the book out there. You want to buy Thanks for listening. 92i Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.